friends, and welcome back to With Great People, the podcast for high-performance teams. I'm Richard Kasparowski. Our special guest today is James Grenning. James is the founder of Wingman Software, where he trains coaches and consults with clients around the world, helping them on both the technical and managerial sides of things. He's the author of a book called Test-Driven Development for Embedded C, and he's a co-author of this thing called the, well, in quotes, the Agile Manifesto, this, the, the Manifesto for Agile Software Development. Hey, James, thanks so much for joining us today. Richard, thanks for inviting me. Is there anything you would add on to that, uh, that, that introduction? Anything, you, anything else you want to say? Anything I missed? Any? Well, um, <laughs> sure. I'll add a couple of things. Uh, um, I've got a wife of 42 years, wonderful wife, three uh, grown kids. My wife and I uh, spend most of our time in Florida now. Uh, for obvious reasons, uh, to avoid the Chicago winter. Um, three grown kids with spouses, all off the payroll for a long time, and uh, seven grandchildren, seven and under, which is uh, an amazing statistic that some of my friends down here in Florida are jealous of. Um, and then uh, kind of on the work side, I'm uh, uh, COVID pretty much killed traveling, which is okay. I don't miss it. Uh, I thought I might miss it, but I don't really miss it. And I've been uh, doing a uh, live training remotely for a long time. And now for the last years, I figured out how to do it with video. And I'm about to start my first uh, cohort through what I'm calling my self-paced tra self training. And then uh, hopefully I can reach more people in the world that way. And you know, not always have to worry about people hitting my schedule and we can do, they can learn on theirs. Right, so, so exciting. Well, I think a lot of us have had similar experiences over the last couple of years. Um, so yeah. this podcast, it's about all the things you talked about and more. It's about teams. And, uh, I like to ask people about the best team they've ever been a member of in their entire life, right? And this is arguably a work context kind of podcast, but this doesn't have to be a work team. Uh, any work team, non-work team, any, any group of two or more people who are aligned with a common goal. That's one of the ways I, I define the word team. What? What what one of those is the best one you've ever been a part of in your life? Well, you, when I heard that question, I'm thinking, well, there's two that come to mind. So <clears throat> coming up with just one is hard. Um, and actually three come to mind pretty easily after I think of the two. And, you know, it's hard to always put a limit on stuff. But uh, my uh, my first job was interesting. And maybe it wasn't the greatest team, although it was the most uh, extremely diverse team because there were mechanical people, electrical engineering um, and a few software people, and we built the first color weather radar display system. And that was kind of a cool thing back then um, to have built. Uh, but maybe, probably my next team was the most uh, enjoyable team that I got to help form. Uh, it was at a company I worked at in the 80s. <clears throat> and part of uh, what I was brought into the company to do is to bring maybe some more process. So we were trying to learn waterfall back in those days. And I came from a government contracting thing with the FAA. And so I, I was, we were in a growing company. It's where I met Bob Martin. Um, he uh, recruited me there. And uh, <clears throat> we were both young guys working on different parts of this system. And uh, I recruited a team from the college I went to. It was, I'm, I'm wondering why the women went away from software development because my team was uh, half women and half guys. In the I've 80s, heard they were, Yeah. My, 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 my most recent guest said the same thing. She, she got into software development and it wasn't unusual for there to be women at that time. I think, you know, back in those days, um, 
there wasn't somebody saying, oh, you should go into computers. Uh, for me, it's like I was trying to avoid computers. There's typing, you know, there was all kinds of bad stuff going on. And I thought, I'll just stay away from that. And then I had to do some programming in one of my uh, calculus classes and you know, to simulate Newton's method, if you remember that, but uh, finding the area under a curve. And it was fun. And I was just kind of shocked by that. And so then somebody will pay me for this. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to do that. And uh, so we recruited a team from that same place. And I think a lot of the, the story was similar as people that were interested in solving problems bumped into computer programming. And so we had this really great young team and uh, we lived Conway's Law. Do you, uh, you know Conway's Law? Are you, your listeners? Uh, well, basically, share with the, us, stru yeah. Yeah, the, the structure of your team will reflect the architecture. And so we had a five or six person team. And basically, each person took a responsibility area, right? You know, one's communications, one's UI, one's database, one's resource management. And uh, we would sit down in a room and have a conversation about how the system works. And it was great. We did, um, we were doing great things, uh, learning to build a really cool system. Uh, the one bad thing about that team is that we probably weren't good enough at communicating to the boss. And in these days, there was a lot of you know motivation to do things and very unrealistic deadlines, like everybody still lives with today. And uh, he wasn't very tolerant of missed deadlines, you know. So, um, so that team. Uh, that team, we were doing good things, but he got mad at us because we couldn't do the impossible and eventually kind of spread us around a little bit, which was too bad because it was a really cool team. The next one, I, I actually wrote a story about this uh, team and uh, was right after I'd learned extreme programming. And um, I'm, I took a week off from this client. I, this, I'm working at uh, Object Mentor, Bob's, Bob Martin's uh, consulting company at the time in the late 90s. And uh, we had been learning about extreme programming from uh, Kent Beck and Ron Jeffries and Ward Cunningham and Martin Fowler. Um, and I had to take a week off of my consulting job to go learn about extreme programming. And when I got back, I was so excited about it, I started to try to get the, the people that, they, that I was consulting with to try it. And now this was a company that was pretty, um, very waterfall document oriented. You know, what documents do we have to produce? There'd be this big stack. And uh, I talked to the director and he, you know, being as the outside disruptor, um, he said, well, that just sounds crazy enough that that might work. You know, because I explained to him some of the stuff. He's like, can we try it? He goes, sure, I'll give you a waiver for some of your processes. But the rest of the organization fought us about not producing all the documents. But the team was really cool. We worked together nicely. People were learning. Um, there was maybe half experienced and half inexperienced people. And they were all just kind of, sponges to try new things and also very critical of it. So um, it was an interesting, interesting uh, story. One of the bad parts in that story, I keep talking here, um, <laughs> is that uh, one day in a big company, this can happen to you. Somebody else is at our team meeting. It's like, who are you? It's like, I'm the new guy on the team. It's like, we're getting a new oh. guy on the team. <laughs> <laughs> yep, here I am. <laughs> and he was not all in on extreme programming. He's like, where's your architecture document? Where's your this? Where's your that? Where's the other thing? No, you can't program together. Uh, no, I won't do that. Um, and it, for, for a month, we got zero done. And we actually had to actively get rid of him because there's no way he would play with us. And so we had to get the, the 
team leader to go move them somewhere else. Um, that was a very bizarre thing to have happen, but it was a really cool team. And then as soon as the disruptive thing uh, factor was gone, we got back to work and produced cool stuff. Cool. What about, so the, on the second team, there was a problem with meeting unrealistic deadlines that were assigned to you. What happened on, on, on the third team, the XP team? Uh, the XP team, uh, we actually uh, uh, would, so we're working, we're, one team was doing XP and maybe five other teams were doing waterfallish things. And uh, I was with this team for about a year, which is unusual. Usually I don't do long-term gigs like that. And this was every other week for about a year. And uh, by their own metrics, um, we produced about twice as much working functionality over that period than um, teams not doing that. And they had, they had a measure for that. I forget what the metric was exactly. <clears throat> they said our quality was about the same. It wasn't a lot better, but we had a lot more of working uh, system. And uh, so the uh, interesting thing about working with a XP flexible team next to a bunch of waterfall teams is somebody come to, you know, you know, schedule chicken where everybody's like, yeah, We'll make it. We'll make it. We'll make it. Everybody's <laughs> going to say they'll make it. And then when somebody finally says, well, we're not going to make this deadline, you know, and then that destroys a gigantic perch chart that's been established, right? The the perch chart that shows all the dependencies. Now it's all ruined. And what really made the uh, waterfall people mad was when we were in the room and say, no, we don't care. Oh, we'll just move our, oh, your integration's moving out two weeks. We'll just move it two weeks. We'll move something else. And it's like, you can't do that. Well, don't you have to go talk about it? It's like, no, we can do it. We know what to do. We'll just move that. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So, surprising. You know, I was brand new at it and I'd never done it before, but you know, the ideas seem to make sense to me after trying things the other way, I guess with 20 years of experience doing things that didn't work, something that sounded like it would solve problems. <laughs> it was kind of cool. It actually works. So, and, and it's really unusual. There's not, there aren't that many opportunities to actually have, to, to have, decent data or decent experiment showing that XP or any, any particular practice gives you better results. So it's a really nice natural experiment that happens. Well, the, the next thing that happened after that is they want to do it in more teams. And so because what they do is they, this company, I'm not going to name them, um, because they value process over just about everything. It's like, okay, James, go to another team and do exactly the same thing. It's like, and you that's have to not document, possible. You have to document how you did it so it can be reproduced. Yeah, that's not possible, actually, because these people have different skills and will do something like it, but a little bit different, and that'll be okay. And it's like, no, it's got to be just the same. And then they put a big waiver, you know, like you'd have to do a 20-page uh, reason why you were going to do this uh, rather than the standard process to give to the QA police. Um, and so it was just too easy for everybody just to keep doing what they did, and it all mostly withered and died, I think. Which was it was too early for this company, you know. It was too radical at that time. <laughs> now I want to I want to dive deeper into one of these teams, if we could. Uh, now now I feel like um, I don't remember the name of that old game show when I was a little kid. Uh, but the 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 host was Monty Hall. Should we should we talk about Team One, the, the team behind Door One, the team behind Door Two, or the team behind Door Three? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> which door? Which team should we dive deeper on? Yeah, the XP team was just uh, very willing to experiment, right? I mean, so we had things we had to do. They wanted to get stuff done, but they were willing to, you know, experiment and try something that was not what they usually did. 
Okay. And, and sometimes people get precise about the word experiment. Do they have any criteria to evaluate the experiment? Is, is, there, is it just open to trying new things in general? Or was, was there some threshold to see whether it worked? I suppose, you know, there was the measures later about how much did you get done. Um, but there was the continual uh, demonstration of something new every couple of weeks, which was something there. Now, were there metrics about it? Not really. That I, Except for these final ones, which were I was unaware of that we were going to even be measured by them, um, you know, later in the process. I know a team next to me that I coached there at the same place a couple of years later, uh, they got to QA and didn't have enough bugs for QA to find. And so they were sent back to go find more bugs because they didn't have enough. Right. And so there was, there was a metric about how they worked, you know, in finding problems early is at their phase gate, they weren't finding as many problems as they're used to. And so they thought something went wrong. So they sent them back to start over. Um, that was a that was yet another team, but uh, uh, that didn't happen to that to the team that uh, I did the XP with the first time. Okay, so th these are some great um, these are some great objective. I don't know if they're exactly objective metrics, but they're ways that we know objectively that this team was really good, right? They 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 produced about twice as much stuff as the other teams. Uh, they were, you're demoing something new every couple of weeks. So there was, there was observable progress. It was very objective. Is there anything else objective about this XP team that, that, that goes into knowing that it was such a, such a, such a great team? Hmm. Uh, we were, able, we had really good access to, uh, <clears throat> well, the team member was the system engineer on the product was the, one of the systems engineers that built the last product. So he knew it inside and out. He knew what we wanted and we could ask extremely detailed questions and he would come back to us with extremely detailed answers. And at one moment, I just like, where are you getting these answers? He said, it's in the old code, in the old system. It's like, there's an old system. I didn't even know there was an old system. It's like, you know, we're, we're just building the thing they kept asking us to build. Would have been nice to know that. <laughs> this was in the day uh, of... Uh, big design problem because a system was built around uh, time division multiplexing, which is the form the, what phone calls use, landline phone calls use to share time on a digital medium, right, for um, what they used to use, <laughs> not anymore. And then it was moving to voice over IP, but all the technology was mixed in with the business and so it had to be oh, reinvented. Yeah. Yeah, right. Cool. You're making me remember stuff I'd forgotten about. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> <laughs> Time division multiplexing. Yeah. <laughs> now, how about um, subjectively, if you take yourself back to this team, uh, were there any sensations, any feelings, uh, any, anything that you felt within yourself or that, that you know, subjectively goes into knowing that this was a, a really great team? Uh, an interesting thing happened at uh, the XP group is – um, the boss was really, I think, very insightful because there were some things that uh, we wanted to do. And he said, you know, you're never going to be able to do that here. I said, you know, what we what we want is a team room. Um, and he took me to, so I think the, the thing I'm going to, uh, where I'm going to is 
um, understanding what the limitations of where you are are, okay? Because there's only some so much that's possible. He took me to this room with maybe 100 engineers in it. He said, you see that wall over there? It's a cube farm. And then there's private offices with doors along the side. He says, you see this office? If we change anything, we're going to have to redo the whole office to bring it up to current company specifications, okay? Which means a union's going to come in and take everything apart and put it together. And the guys who you're going to need support to do this, the guys who are going to lose their private offices in this idea, are right over there. And I don't think you're going to be able to get them to do that. You're not going to get them to do this. So let's see if we can find some other way for you to get a collaboration space, right? And so, you know, we were talking, you know, more about shared place, you know, cubes and a shared place. So there's, you know, he found a, a nook and a cranny that we could go to. But, uh, you know, there was battles. That we, we like half won that, but we couldn't win it in a big way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, what are the limitations? So that was... Uh, that was discouraging, but it was also, I mean, at first it was discouraging, but then it was, you know, then what else could we do, right? You know, if we can't solve that problem. Can we solve a different one? And, you know, kind of end up with the same result. All right. Now how about uh, some of the concrete behaviors? We've, we've said this is an XP team, an extreme programming team. Uh, were there uh, specific XP behaviors that you, that you tried and others that you didn't try? Was there anything you did in addition to extreme programming that helped this team be so successful? Yeah, so we, uh, what we did was uh, we had a, an existing uh, specification for the product. And so we're looking at that and thinking, how do we turn that into stories? Now, stories, the system engineer said, that's a little too light for me. How about we'll do use cases instead? So we did, so we did use cases. Um, so we took this requirements document and basically turned it into a list of use cases. It's like, this is like our big story list. And now if we're going to work on one, let's elaborate one of those. And so he'd write a formal kind of use case up and we'd go work against that. Um, you know, so it was kind of a variation, but it was very radical for their environment because what they would want to have done and what their official process would say is do all the analysis first and then you can start design and then you can start development and you know, we were just doing everything all at once. Um, mm -hmm. in, in small also, chunks. Yeah, doing it in small chunks. And extreme programming is uh, silent on documentation. Now, it doesn't mean it's anti-documentation. It just doesn't give you any advice about it. And I remember Kent Beck and uh, company uh, telling us in the 1999s, you know, if you need documentation, you know, make sure that you know who the customer is and Make sure you know why it's valuable and understand it's expensive. <laughs> and so, you know, do that carefully. It's not free. And so we, start, we started pushing back on the organization and grew a requirements document. So there's, you know, kind of blending into their environment. We started with three pages and everybody looked at it. It's like, are you kidding? This doesn't weigh any, anywhere near enough. You know, as if how many trees die is, you know, a measure of progress. Uh, but... Every time we went through an iteration of learning something, we added to it. And so it grew so that by the time we were done, we had a pretty good write-up of the, uh, let me call it the uh, equivalent of a U.S. map of the architecture. So you knew where the interstates were, you knew, but if you wanted details, you'd have to go into the code. And we just, you know, stuck with that, even though somebody else, you know, other teams were doing other things. Um, we were able to uh, let that idea prevail. And... Uh, <clears throat> so that, that was uh, pretty cool. Um, 
We worked in kind of long iterations, long compared to what I'd think now, but really short for them, a month long. Um, you know, that was as short as they could go. Uh, and we, uh, we did uh, pairing and we rotated pairs regularly. And usually um, senior people with less people, but I noticed I learned a lot from the less, from the less senior people. <laughs> and everybody knows secrets about how the IDEs work and everything that nobody else knows. And so you get this nice, um, you know, now there's mobbing, of course, where you have this intensified, but uh, uh, we got this really good spreading of the skills. And so like some of these young guys that are just out of school are getting to learn, you know, things that took me 15 years to learn because I'm, you know, explaining to them why this is important. And uh, and then they're showing me immediately you know, something I didn't know. And it was just very cool, the that whole give and take. Uh, the only time we really got into trouble is when two junior people were together on a week when I wasn't there. And then I came back and we noticed we would run code coverage just to see, you know, are we really doing a, a test driven development? And because if we stopped, there'd be a hole in coverage if we weren't doing it. We found a hole and it's like, oh no, we tested that. You just have to go and reconfigure this thing here and then run the tests again. And actually they found ways to pass the two tests, but not in the same system. So they had a, they had a contradictory requirement. They didn't know what to do. So they configured the system two ways. You know, it's kind of, and then we said, okay, let's keep running this code coverage at the end of the week and maybe, um, you know, if two guys work together that are the junior guys and a senior guy's got to come and look at it soon. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, but, uh, and they were all, uh, retrospective was a little bit uh, natural for them. You know, it was a natural thing for them to, to kind of look at how can we improve. Uh, I'm curious about uh, rotating pairs. We're talking about pair programming and, and changing who your partner is periodically. How frequently did you change partners? Uh, we'd probably work together generally for the day or maybe half a day. Okay. So, yeah, so, so pretty frequently. <clears throat> yeah, and it was, uh, it was good because then everybody got to know the code, right? So people think you're pairing to, you know, all the misconceptions about pairing. Um, one of them is somebody's going to watch me to make sure they catch me when I make a mistake. Well, sure, that's true, but then I'm, not gonna, I'm only going to drive for a while. I'll only be able to take so much of you telling me all the mistakes I make. Um, you're going to take, we'll take turns and I'll watch you make mistakes. No, we'll work together. And the rates at which we make mistakes is unbelievable to me. And today still, I, I know my rate is measured um, in mistakes per minute, probably not per hour, but per minute. And uh, especially in the feedback loop of test-driven development. Um, you know, so uh, <clears throat> we, yeah, we switch pretty often. And um uh, one of the problems was getting some of the senior people because they always get pulled into other review meetings and things. So lots of times it was me rotating with with the new people in the group. And that was fun. I had a good time with that. Cool. How about some advice for listeners and viewers? Uh, how could they reproduce some of this team's success? Uh, well, let's see. I don't know. Your listeners, are they largely scrum uh, advocates? Uh, they might or might not even care about okay. Agile or Agile product development. All right, okay, that, all right. Um, I like to caution people about, and you've seen my little graphic of. Uh, yeah, I'll just put, I'll you put could put that up, or or you could you could give it to me, and we'll, we'll add it on later. Either way. Let's see. Here's my little pain. Now you can't see it all, but uh, basically. Um, 
I get to talk to Scrum teams fairly often. I've been invited to do keynote talks to them, which is nice of them to, I don't really have anything to do with Scrum, but it's nice of them to invite me. And um, I said, what do you want me to talk about? And it's like, well, you know, you could tell us some things that we're doing wrong. It's like, oh, okay, um, but be nice. And uh, so I have this uh, talk I do about uh, the importance of the technical side of Agile. And uh, one of the things I noticed in Scrum, most of the teams, and if you go to a Scrum gathering, there's almost no technical people there. It's all the people that are running the technical people and the engineers are off somewhere. And uh, I've discovered through reading lots of people's opinions about Agile that are in uh, engineering opinions on it, they hate it because they're being micromanaged by all these people that are into Scrum and they don't know how to iteratively engineer. And so it, it's painful. And uh, so company, people will come to me with this pain. I'll say, well, you started doing this wrong backwards. Uh, we always taught uh, the engineering practices first so that when a story comes up, an engineer actually has an idea of what does it mean to do something small right now and make it tested and, you know, et cetera. How, how can you do that if what you're used to is working on requirements for four months? and then working on design for four months, and then working on code for four months, and then debugging for two years, right? If you're used to that, it's a different thing than, can I deliver something in two weeks? And so if, you're pay, if your teams are struggling with iterative development, have you helped them get access and learn iterative engineering techniques, you know, so we can do it safely, right? So <clears throat> that would be uh, my most, uh, well, my advice to, uh, teams that are trying to iterate. And if you're not iterating, why aren't you, okay? I mean, so DevOps, I think, is going to pull on technical practices. You know, so this this continuous deployment, um, right, that's gonna pull on, you've gotta have good things going, otherwise you're gonna have the old garbage in, garbage out. Uh, but if you gotta put something good into that pipeline, and uh, so that means you're gonna have to keep going back further and further uh, in your processes to uh, ensure the thing that goes through that pipeline out to your customer works. Yeah. Now, I, I have an opinion, but I, I want to I hear what you think. DevOps, Agile, are they different things? Are they the same things? What, what do you think? <clears throat> DevOps is very not surprising to me. <clears throat> it, uh, I told you about the extreme programming training in 1999. It was called Extreme Programming Immersion 1. And one of the people there... Um, I'm not recalling his name right now, but I'm picturing his face. But uh, he told a story of, and they lived near Kent back in Oregon. And so I think Kent had been working with them somewhat. And uh, they were practicing all the extreme programming practices in the late 90s. And they built this machine that sorted French fries. And if I'm remembering the story right, um, you know, truckloads of potatoes. I'm going to embellish it a little bit, you know, because stories have to grow a little bit. Truckloads of potatoes get dumped into this hopper along with the golf balls and stuff that the farmers um, were shooting into the field. Um, <laughs> and then it goes down this conveyor belt and there's cameras watching and then it goes, the potatoes will go over a gap and an air gun will shoot foreign objects out of the air. And then the potatoes will go through and get cleaned somewhere. I don't know. This might, maybe they're clean potatoes that go into this. I'm not sure. But uh, they eventually get peeled and sliced and, you know, lots of stages of uh, manufacturing so that you can have perfect French fries wherever you go throughout the United States, right? And uh, 
They had a pipeline like selling this machine now. <laughs> <laughs> they had a pipeline then, which uh, would produce if they made a single any code change, it would go as far as producing the ISO file that they would burn onto the distribution CD that they would send to a site. If right, and so now someone the last step someone would have to choose to burn that ISO. It didn't automatically burn it because they probably, you know, were changing stuff too often, right? And so or it went through had to lots a, of stuff. CD into the whole, the machine. Yeah. yeah. Say again. Or so, somebody had to physically put a new blank CD into the the, the, the CD burner. That's right. Yep. Yep. And uh, so for me, uh, when I heard the word DevOps, it's like, what is that? Um, and then somebody explained to me, it's like, oh, yeah, okay. Sounds like the natural conclusion to someone doing extreme programming. Um, you know, so uh, pragmatic programmers, right? Other pragmatic programmers, uh, other uh, Agile Manifesto contributors, right? So reading a pragmatic programmer in the late 90s as well, if you have boring, repetitive processes, and I kind of live with this every day, this advice is rattling up here. If you have boring, repetitive processes, automate them, right? Because not just because you're going to save time, um, although it's nice to save time, but I might spend a week and not save that week. But what I do get from the automation is a big step in quality, right? Because you work through the things that, you know, if I'm going to deploy something again and again, right, then I'm going to make mistakes in that. And it's not going to end well. I was contemplating making a course and putting it into Teachable. I don't know if you're familiar with Teachable, but it's one of these online learning systems. And one of their advertising points is uh, no need for programming ability, right? Because everything is mouse clicks. For me, that's like, oh, no, this is going to be bad because I'll have a video that I use you know, as promotion on my website, I'll use it during a class as one of the modules they have to read. And I'll put, if I had it in Teachable, it'll be in at least three places. And that means if I make a change to that video, I have to remember the three places it is and actually go and do that. And because of that problem, I, I've decided finally after paying them for two years, I'm not going to use that service. I was building the content. And I just said, never mind, I'm not going to use the service because I can't import my content. And over the last month, what I've been doing is adding basically teachable capabilities to my website. So I <laughs> um, had to build it myself. But because uh, now I can make a change, and it will appear everywhere. Right? So, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got stuff going on in my head. It's, it's all related. I, so I think by, by the way we're talking about it, uh, I was also practicing a thing that was very similar to what we call DevOps today. Uh, and I think it was just like that. I, I used to, it was sort of a, a pride thing as well as higher quality and all that. Uh, I, I used to say the computer was laughing at me if, if I was doing things manually that it could do automatically. Like I should be writing code that automates this or little scripts that automate this work. So the computer doesn't laugh at me anymore for doing compute for, you're a human and you're doing computers, you're doing the computer's work. Yeah, <laughs> stupid human. <laughs> well, yeah, getting off of Windows was an important thing because Windows made automation really hard. I, that was probably the first thing that got me, you know, when the in the mid two thousands, trying to automate things with uh, Windows command line, whatever it's called, uh, was nearly impossible because they were missing key things to be able to actually have a robust uh, uh, bash script, not a bash script, robust uh, script, whatever they called that. Um, and so that moved me into Mac when it had 
the ability to dual boot, right? So I could have Windows if I need it in virtual machines. And then you had a command line with, you know, Unix. So then, I, then things could start to be automated. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, I have so many other things I want to add on to, <laughs> but we'll save them for later. Um, is there anything else you want to add? Anything we haven't touched on that you think is important for people to hear? Any, any, any projects you've been working on recently? Anything at all? Hmm. Uh, unfortunately, my team is, you know, I've, I'm the one-person team here, which uh, <clears throat> for my website development, which, you know, I'm the IT department, I'm the sales department, I'm delivery, I'm accounting, right? You know, so, but when I'm playing customer for my system, it's amazing how uh, I can't get it right. I say, James, you would like this certain thing. It's like, okay, I'll try to build that. And then I build that and it's like, no, you don't need that. That's no good. Oh yeah, I need it to be different. And uh, <clears throat> so I would say, you know, uh, don't be surprised when you give some, this is why iteration is so important. When you give somebody something they asked for, they're going to say, you almost got it right. Oh, I wish I would have asked for something different now. Right, you know, so. Uh, Perfect. Yeah. All right. And how could, how could people get in touch with you if they care to? And well, I'm sure they, see, I'm sure uh, they will want to. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, Twitter, JW Grenning. Um, there's uh, wingman-sw.com is my website. Uh, if you're an embedded systems engineer, you should definitely think about taking my course. I will be offering, uh, so far I'm just doing my first cohort through uh, the self-paced version of the class, which will be a partially uh, self-paced. We're going to have a meeting every week as a debrief, right, uh, for each of the three modules. Um, and then uh, once I've had people go through it that way a few times, I might offer it for individuals uh, to take as well if they want to. Then, you know, they can shoot me questions by email or something. But uh, yeah. Right. right. Awesome. And you don't have to be embedded. C or C++ is what my courses are really good for. So. Great. All right. Uh, well, James, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a really fun conversation. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate you inviting me. And dear listeners and viewers, remember to support this podcast. Just visit my website, kasparowski.com. <laughs> <laughs>